Pumpfist. For those of you who haven't met, it, one, met him, one of my favorite people in the entire world, please meet him. But let's sing happy birthday to Tom. Awesome. Anyway, hey, for those of you who are trying to answer that question of what is the mission statement or the purpose of your life, for how many of you that was a difficult question to answer? Raise them high and proud. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you it was easy to answer because you just knew and the answer was just Jesus, right? Right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, easy out. Um, I think for those of us where it's difficult to answer that question, part of the problem is probably the fact that we just haven't given it much thought because we are so consumed with simply doing the day-to-day things. Life is throwing a myriad of things at us and we're just trying to catch up. And so we spend our lives reacting as opposed to being able to be intentional about what we're doing. And um, I know that has been the case for a lot of my life. I found myself reacting to the things that were thrown at me as opposed to being intentional about choosing what I was going to do. And so about 11 years ago, I was doing PR for the surfing industry, hating it because at the end of the day, I just didn't care who won the latest surf contest, to be perfectly honest with you. And so I was finding myself going, I don't care. I'm doing something I don't love. And I'm finding myself just wilting. And around that time, this book came across my desk called The Path by Lori Beth Jones. It's a, it's a book about writing a personal mission statement for your life. And so over the course of several months, I ended up kind of working through and wrestling through what is my purpose in life? What has God called me to do? Not necessarily occupationally, but vocationally. Vocation is from, the, it, from the Latin means calling. What am I called to do? And I, may necess- I don't necessarily have to do it through my job, although I get to in some ways through pastoring. But what has God called me to do? Now, I'm not going to go into my mission statement, my purpose statement, because honestly, this isn't about me. If you're curious at some point, I'd love to talk to you. I would also encourage you maybe to check out that book, uh, The Path by Lori Beth Jones. But here's the point of this. In that book, she kind of lays out a couple of criteria for what makes a strong purpose statement impactful. First off, you have to be able to know it. So it has to be short. It can't be one of these unwieldy things because the purpose of a purpose statement is to help focus you. And so she says the first characteristic is it needs to be one sentence long. And you're going, wait a minute, one sentence? How on earth do I take all of the things that I need to do in my life and the things that I love and how do I fit them all in there? And what do I leave out? So the first thing, because our reality is we tend to just kind of stack things in there and it gets more and more unwieldy, one sentence long. Secondly, it needs to be simple. We can't make this complex or complicated. So it needs to be understandable to a 12-year-old. And then the third component of a strong purpose statement is that you need to know it deep down. So well, in fact, that if somebody were to put a gun to your head and say, what are you living for? You would be able to, off the top of your head, just under duress, you would know it. Because deep down, you get it. I found that with a lot of purpose statements, whether it's an organization that puts it together or it's an individual who puts it together, we spend all this time writing it, and then we have it on a piece of paper in our computer, and we just forget about it. And we go on just reacting to the the things that come at us. We're doing a lot of good things but not necessarily focusing on the things that are most important to us. And I was thinking for a little bit about, you know, what is, what is the good of having a purpose statement or a mission statement? 
And the reality is all they do is they force us to focus and say, what of all of the good things that I could be doing, of all the things I love, what is the most important? And once we've kind of wrestled through and worked through that, it gives us the ability to have a lens through which we can look at opportunities and, and things that kind of come our way and say, is this helpful? It's a good thing, but is this the best thing? Is this where I want to spend the time that I have? Because every time we say yes to one thing, and I'm finding this with my family, every time I say yes to going to the bride's room and doing something more, every time I say yes to coming into church to work on something or going to a friend's house to help them move, every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something. Oftentimes it's my family, and they get the short end of the stick. And and for a while, that's not a big deal. But given a a certain amount of time, you find yourself starting to drift and you find your spouse beginning to get frustrated because they feel like they're carrying all this weight on their own. And so every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And so we need to consider what what is it that we are saying yes to? And is this important? Is this worth investing the time that God has entrusted to us? So I was thinking, what are some of the purpose statements of some of the people that have come before us in history. Let's just go through a couple of them. Abraham Lincoln, if he had a purpose statement, it was this, to preserve the union. That was his entire goal in his presidency was to keep the union together. And the choices that he made were towards that end. Or you think of Nelson Mandela, okay, to end apartheid in South Africa. You think of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, president, His whole goal of his presidency was to end the depression. And everything he did was towards that end. Now, maybe he made choices that other people didn't agree with, and history may have said, you know, that wasn't the best choice. But everything he did was focused around a central point. I want to end the depression. We can think of Mother Teresa, okay? To love the sick and show mercy and compassion to the dying. Everything she did was ordered around that purpose. Old Testament, Nehemiah. Here's a guy who was cupbearer to the king. And he said, you know what? How how can I live in opulence and comfort when the house of the Lord, Jerusalem, is in shambles? And so his calling, his purpose, everything he became about was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. That was it to him. And he ordered his life around it. Or finally, Jesus because he's often a good one for us to kind of take some examples from. Jesus Christ himself. What, what, what do you think Jesus' purpose in life was? And don't read your notes. <laughs> don't. What do you think? Well, I, I'm hearing... Blah, 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 blah. It's like a Charlie Brown. Okay, to seek and save the lost. Right? That's everything that Jesus was about. That's what he came for. Just for a moment, let's just, this isn't in your notes, but go with me to Mark chapter 1. Turn there. Because I want to show you the way that Jesus' purpose influenced his choices. There were good things all around him, but he, he was able to say no to some good things in order to do what was most important. So in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus healing people. We see him going around with his disciples and and notoriety begins to build. And in verse 32, we'll pick up the story. He has just gone to Simon Peter's Peter's house. He's just healed Simon's mother-in-law. Okay, Healing is happening. It's the Sabbath. 
And so people have been kind of at their homes, but we, we read this, verse 32, that evening after sunset. So the Sabbath has ended. People are now able to move around with freedom. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus' notoriety is growing. People are coming to him. The word is out. There's something special about this man. He can heal. He has the ability to drive out demons. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus recognized in his own life that he could only do what he saw the Father doing. He needed to get his marching orders from God. And so he was constantly spending time refilling, getting away from the constant needs to refill his own soul. And we often stop there. But let's keep reading for a second because that's not the point we're going for today. Verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. The word is out. People are coming. The whole town is here. There's more people who need to be healed. There's more people who need to have a demon exercised out of them. There's, there's needs for you. Come. Come teach. And Jesus could very easily turn around, walk back down to Simon's house, and spent months there ministering to people. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. What an interesting choice because you think, well, where's the compassion? Hurting people, hungry people, needy people. Why not go minister to them right now? But you see, Jesus had a, a proper understanding, a proper perspective there are good things all over the place. There are good opportunities. And he could have spent his entire life in that little village ministering to people, healing them, being ready when somebody gets a sniffle to drive the, the demon of that sniffle out of them, all those kind of things. But he recognized that that was just putting a Band-Aid over a much deeper festering wound. His purpose was to advance the kingdom of God and to seek and save the lost so that ultimately they would spend eternity in relationship with God. And he knew, because he knows the beginning from the end, that ultimately there would come a day where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, where, where demons have absolutely no authority. That day was coming. And then, there would no longer be people needing to be healed. But until that point, he had the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. And it was much more than just in the momentary Needs. Do you see that? Are you getting that? Because Jesus understood his purpose, he was able to look at all of the good things and say, what's most important? Where do I need to invest myself now? Well, just as individuals can have purpose statements, or mission statements, vision statements, whatever, organizations have them as well. And we as a church actually have a purpose statement that we've written that reflects the heart. You can learn a lot about an organization by their purpose statement. And I'm just curious, does anybody actually know from the top of your head what Lighthouse Church's vision statement is? Lee does. That's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> Granted, he did teach on it last week, so he had a little bit of... Turn, turn your paper over. It's on, on the back of your notes. But I think it's also going to be on the screen. 
Maybe not. Lighthouse Church's purpose is to love people and lead them to a personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus. Our purpose as a church, the thing when we we boil it all down and say, what do we exist to do? There are a lot of good things. But our purpose as a church is to love people and lead them into a personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus. Now, last week, Lee spent a lot of time on the first part, to love people. And he made the point that we as a church are all about relationship. That is one of the most important things to us as a church. And you can begin to see it through the choices that we make as a church. Take a couple examples. When you walk in, you're given a name tag. And if you're new to the church, you have to write your name down. You're going, what are we doing this for? This is for, to, to avoid those awkward moments when you see somebody and you want to introduce your spouse and you totally forget her name. And it's written right there. So the name tag is helpful, again, to help draw us deeper into relationship with one another. So we don't have to go, hey, brother, it's good to see you again. What's up, sister? Secondly, we are intentional about the way that we utilize this Sunday morning time. We, are, we try to carve out at least three or four minutes for connection time. It's not a just a, hey, greet the person next to you. They'll tell you their name. You'll forget their name. Sit down and let's go. It's actually go, just go walk around and talk. And for some of us, that is the best part of the day. Because that's the time that we get to reconnect with our family. And I love watching you guys just kind of mix around because... It, our tendency, we're creatures of habit, we sit in one spot and we start to get to know the people right around us. But during those connection times, you guys are all over the place and I love seeing that. Once a month, we as a church have decided that we are going to do a barbecue after the service. That's intentional. It's a lot of work. Our small groups put a lot of effort into putting those together. Robin and, and, and some of the staff put a lot of time into putting that together. But it's intentional because for us, relationship is paramount. And we want us to get to know one another. And then finally, we have small groups that meet in people's homes and here at the church throughout the week. Because even though we're a smaller church, even though we only have one service, we recognize that as a church, it's real easy to slip in and slip out and never be fully known. And so those small groups become the place where we can go deeper with one another, where we can be known, where we will be missed if we're not there after only two weeks. And so I, what, what I, you know, I can give you more examples, but those are a couple of the ways that we have been intentional as a church to cultivate relationship because it is important. But I have to tell you, it's not the only priority. In fact, it's not our number one priority as a church. And I will, I am, I'm going I'm to stand up here and unapologetically say to you that, putting, you know, that, that, that creating community is not our top priority. I will also tell you unapologetically, that putting on a good weekend service with dynamic teaching, dynamic worship, is not our top priority. I'll also tell you that although there are a lot of needy people in our community, feeding the homeless, even building homes in Mexico, is not our top priority. Nor is putting on great productions for the kids or having lots of programs to satisfy everybody's needs. That is not our top priority. Now listen... All of those are good things. All of those are important. And we do all of those things as a church. But they are not our number one priority. Because if we go back to our vision statement for a second, I want to highlight today, I really want to focus some energy on what our top priority needs to be 
what our top priority is. We are a church that seeks to love people and, and here it comes, lead them into a personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I mean by each of those words. We desire that from your time here in Lighthouse, from the relationships that you have with people, from your time in your small group, from the message to the worship to everything that we do, that it would draw you closer into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our top priority. That is number one. If we are not helping you grow with, with Christ, if you are not growing in maturity, we're missing the point. We want your relationship with him to be personal. Meaning that it's not something that you just kind of come to church and that's the only time you crack the Bible. Meaning that the times that we pray up here on Sunday are not the only times that you're communing with God. That you are becoming a self-feeder. That you're growing in your relationship. That you are growing to know God, not just know about Him. And that you're learning to hear and being willing to respond to your shepherd's voice. As the Holy Spirit leads, that you're able to discern the Holy Spirit's voice and be willing to follow him. We desire that you would grow in your personal relationship with God. Secondly, we want it to be passionate. For those of you who are married, you remember when you first met your spouse. You're dating. You fall madly in love with this person. And you, you know how you kind of reordered your life around that person. The way you made sacrifices of time. The way that you would have a conversation and then you'd spend the next five hours before you fall asleep just thinking about it and going, oh, did I really say it that way? Oh my gosh, I sound like such an idiot. And all of that kind of stuff. You order your life around this individual and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about passionate. That you're all in. That your love for Jesus Christ goes to the core of who you are. And that you're willing to reorder your life around him and to follow him regardless of the cost. And then finally, our, our, our heart would be that you would experience a productive relationship with him. Meaning that as you draw closer into relationship with him, as you grow to know him more intimately, grow to recognize his voice and are willing to listen to his leading, you would, you would experience spiritual maturity. You would begin to see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All of these kind of things beginning to exhibit themselves in your relationships. That you'd be more patient with your kids. More loving and gentle with your spouse. More self-controlled and all of those kind of things. That it would just begin to eke out of you. That's our desire as a church. That's what we want to be about. I'll tell you this. I personally feel that we're doing really, really, really well with the community aspect, with relationships, with loving one another. That's one of the reasons why Kathy and I chose to stay here when we came here because it, this has ha been happening long before we came to this church. You guys love so well that when we came in here, it only took us a couple of weekends to realize this is where we want to raise our kids. Because they're going to be so loved and we are loved. And we've experienced that through Grayson's premature birth and all of the ways you've loved us. And I see it week in and week out, the way you come alongside and love one another. We're doing that well. But I have to confess, as a pastor, 
I feel like we could be doing the second part, the most important part of helping you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We could be doing that better. We could be more intentional about that. And that's the part that really gets me. And that is a part that we are going to be focusing on over the next couple of weeks is, as Lee and Justin and some of us are just, are, are just talking about what does it mean to truly worship God? How can we be more intentional about growing in our relationship with Him? But even as an individual, I think about my own life and I think about the ways that I want Jesus Christ to be number one. I want my relationship with Him to be paramount. And yet as I look at the ways that I spend my life, I look at the ways that I run from fire to fire, putting out some, starting others, doing, doing, doing. I find that I'm just spinning and I seldom stop to slow down and go, why am I doing this? I work, 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 whether it's here at the church, whether it's in relationships, whether it's at home with the kids. I'm doing lots of good things, oftentimes in God's name. And then I fall into bed at night and I realize I've spent almost no time whatsoever actually talking to God and asking him, what did you want me to be doing? How would you like me to invest my time? What are, where are you working and how can I join you in that? And in a lot of ways, when I look at my life and the way that I'm spending my time, especially in this season right now with a ton of demands, I'm realizing I'm a lot like Martha. You guys ever feel that way? For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Jesus is traveling around with his disciples. He's going from village to village. And they, they come to a particular village and there's a woman named Martha who has the gift of hospitality, opens her home to them. So in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, we'll pick up the story. Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where there was a woman named Martha and she opened her home to him. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, here I am slaving away for you and your disciples. And my sister isn't even bothering to help. She's sitting there at your feet listening to what you have to say. Come on. Martha. Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Martha was getting fixated on all of the to-dos, all of the serving Jesus, doing all of the things for him, but she never stopped to recognize, wait a minute, I don't even know this man. Here is the Messiah in my own house, and I am not taking the time to sit with him. And I look at my own life, and I go, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm serving, serving, running this way and that, saying yes to every good opportunity. And in the process I'm too busy to actually slow down myself and connect with my Lord, to sit at his feet. I read this and I teach this and, I'm, and in the process, I'm pointing the finger at myself and I imagine I'm not the only one who needs to hear this, but I need to hear this. There are a tremendous amount of good things that can get in the way of us being present with our Lord. 
And sometimes we need to say the best thing for me right now is just to connect with him, to grow in my intimacy with him. Because the reality is our lives are pushing us and pulling us. Our circumstances, our relationships, the needs of the moment are are, are just jacking with us. And it doesn't matter if we have an idea of where we want to go. Sometimes... We even know where we want to go and yet the circumstances of our life begin to push us and pull us in any direction. And if we're not careful, we're going to be running a million miles a minute in exactly the wrong direction. We're going to be expending our energy, becoming exhausted, sacrificing relationships and family and opportunities to, 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 to be present with our kids for things that in the grand scheme of things don't matter scrambling up ladders that are leaning against the wrong wall. I used to be a lifeguard down in Newport Beach, and um, hence all the skin cancer, and <laughs> in the future, unfortunately. Um, that wasn't even funny, I'm sorry. Uh, I used to be a lifeguard, and, and I was a pretty hefty kid back then, and so I was trying to lose weight, and so I would, I would on my breaks, go swimming in the ocean. And I decided I would swim along parallel to shore, like several different towers, several towers down, and then I would swim in and run back, and that would be my break. Well, there's a problem with swimming in the ocean. Because you can put your head down and swim as hard as you can, taking breaths minimally, and yet the ocean isn't static. It's constantly moving. It's constantly ebbing and flowing. There are waves coming in that push you towards shore, and then the, the, the backwash that comes off the beach pushes you out to sea. And if you're not careful... You put your head down and you swim hard and all of a sudden when you finally put your head up you realize you've been swimming in towards shore. You've been swimming out to sea. And you've been expending all of this energy and going in the wrong direction. And I suspect that that describes many of our lives. We're running, running, running and yet we're moving in the wrong direction. Because we're never slowing down long enough to go, where am I going? Where is this leading? Where is this taking me? What am I doing this for and and what is the effect of it? And so what I found for myself is when I would go swimming out there, the first thing I had to do is I had to find a focal point, a fixed object that was kind of in the trajectory of where I wanted to go that would not move. That became my true north. That became the thing that I was swimming towards. Most of the time for me in the water, it was the pier because there was normally a pier on either end. And I would fix my eyes on that and say, that's where I'm heading. And then I had to be intentional. When I was swimming, every five, six, eight strokes, rather than just breathing, I would lift my head out of the water and focus and find it. And sometimes I was going in the right direction. I'd put my head down and keep swimming. But sometimes I would lift my head up and I'd realize I'm going straight to shore or I'm heading right out into the shipping lanes. I need to reorient myself to that. Because our lives, our circumstances, our relationships, they're going to constantly ebb and flow. They're going to constantly push us and pull us in different directions. But we, for in our lives, need to find that focal point, that fixed object that is secure, that is not moving, that will not be impacted by the vacillations of life, our true north. And we need to fix our eyes on that. And I will tell you as a pastor, but also as an individual, I'm finding more and more that the only 
person, the only thing that is secure enough to focus our eyes on and to reorient our lives around is Jesus Christ. I think of the the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that when we encounter trials in our own lives, we won't be overthrown. We won't be overwhelmed by them. Jesus is the only thing, person, worth focusing our lives on and reorienting our lives around. And if we are not slowing down, there's a reason why God instituted the Sabbath. I don't think God actually needed to rest himself. But he modeled rest, didn't he? The first things that he instituted for us, Sabbath, slow down, rest, and reconnect with me. Because otherwise you're going to find yourself running a million miles a minute and going in exactly the wrong direction. So as a pastor, I want to stand before you today and say we as a church... We are for relationships with one another, but more than that, we are for your relationship with Jesus Christ and we are for our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our number one priority above all else. And we need to be better and more intentional about fixing our eyes on him. I will confess as a pastor, I need to be more intentional about rather than doing more and saying yes to more good things, I need to sometimes be more intentional about simply slowing down and listening. And I think I'm willing to make that commitment to you and to him that I need to slow down. And I need to remember that although I might be a shepherd, I'm first and foremost part of his flock, and I need it. I need to trust my shepherd. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore more of what it means for us to draw into that intimate relationship with God and our worship. But uh, since this weekend, or this Wednesday was Yom Kippur, which for the Jewish nation is the Day of Atonement, the day when they would go into the temple and the, um, or into the tabernacle, And the high priest, it was the one day of the year where the high priest could come into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, God's throne on earth, resided. And he would bring before God the confessions of the people and make atonement. I feel like perhaps the best way to end this morning is simply to to have a time of confession ourselves. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to come up front and kind of bury your souls to people. Ultimately, this is between ourselves and God. But what I want to do is I want to begin by simply sharing some confessions that I have as a pastor of this church, of ways that I have been majoring on the minors and missing the point. And I suspect that some of the things that I'm going to to say will resonate with you because in some ways you've been doing the same things. And if that's the case, then as I say these, would you please just confess them to God as well? And then we're going to go into a time of confession. So I'm going to invite Devin to come forward. And I'd ask you to bow your heads right now. Father, first I want to say thank you for this community. I thank you for this family. 
I thank you for allowing myself and Lee and Egypt to be able to be in a position that we just get to do life with our friends and seek you together. But now I just want to, I, I want to confess that I am sorry for the ways that I've placed serving you before knowing you and walking with you. I'm sorry for the ways that I've exchanged busyness for prayer. I'm sorry for my self-sufficiency and for my lack of trust in your direction. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry for the ways that I've resisted your still, quiet voice and done what I wanted to do or what I thought was best. I'm sorry for the ways that I have grieved you with my actions and my stubbornness. And I'm sorry for the ways that I've placed myself on the throne of my life and pushed you to the periphery. For the ways that I have interpreted life as me being the main character, the central focus, and expected you to simply be a bit player in my story. I recognize that I can accomplish nothing of any lasting value apart from you. And I'm sorry for testing that fact over and over again. Lord, we need you. And we ask for you to take control of this church family. Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you have your way with us and glorify yourself through us? Would you protect us from trying to build our own kingdoms and focus instead on making your name great and advancing your kingdom? Jesus, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made so that although we have fallen short, we can come into relationship with our Father and be used by Him as ambassadors to a world that's hurting and broken and desperately in need of redemption. So, I am sorry. And I thank you for your love and your grace. As I've been praying these things, maybe some of those have resonated with you. Perhaps there are other things that as I've been kind of going through, not a laundry list because there are others that I could add onto there. But perhaps there are things right now that you have, that have been coming between you and your relationship with God. Things that you need to simply lay down. And what I want to do is we're going to have several minutes right now where I'm just going to ask Devin just kind of give some instrumental background. And, and I would love for you to take this time to simply respond in a time of confession. It doesn't have to be out loud. It's between you and God. There's this 
kind of area up here in front of the pews, if you want to come forward and get down on your knees, because oftentimes our hearts follow our bodies, if you want to come down and kneel down to do that, that's great. You want to do it in your seat, that's fine as well. But let's just take some time right now and have an honest conversation with God and bring the things that have, become, that have been becoming between us and our Lord to His feet. So God, would you give us discernment to recognize what, what it is that's been coming between us? Would you give us the courage to put words to that? Jesus, in your name, amen. opportunity we've had and to remind ourselves that it's, it's all about you. It's you who have brought us to that understanding of what life is, hope and love and meaning and purpose. It's you who taught us about faith. It's you who brought us into that place where we finally began to receive forgiveness and we had hope. We began to think about life outside of just right now. So I pray for each person here and ask that you might overwhelm them with an awareness of how much you love them and care for them. That you'll continue to guide them this week and they'll recognize in every way your hand and your movement in their life. Thank you for all you've done, for all you continue to do. Help us to draw close to you and build that relationship with you that we need. But we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to close. We're going to take an offering. Um, many of us have set aside funds to do that. Some of you have filled out that connections form. You need to drop that in the offering basket as it's passed your way. So we're going to do that as a, the worship band leads us in the closing song here and we finish up our time together. I pray that God encouraged you and that you come to a greater awareness of how he wants to work in your life and that you've made some strong commitments about building that relationship and not simply being involved in um, a day-to-day work thing, all right? So work at it is not simple, uh, but you can do it. Thank you so much for coming today. God bless each one of you. Let's pray for the offering. Father, today we come to you as your people and ask that you would work your will, for we ask it in your name. Amen.